Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another epic edition of the Jerry Jones Show. Hosted by Jerry Jones, along with his sidekick, Kevin Anderson. Each and every episode is guaranteed to increase your profits and decrease your stress in dentistry. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jerry Jones with Jerry Jones Direct. I'm excited to bring you another, yet another, um, expert in the realm of the uh, dental industry and specifically uh, a CPA. So I don't often dive into the numbers uh, with a with someone who is uh, certified smart and and does what <laughs> they practice. Um, and and so I'm excited today to bring to you uh, Mr. Jonathan Van Horn a CPA in the state of Arkansas. And um, Jonathan, I'm assuming you can hear me okay? Yes, absolutely, loud and clear. And, and where are you at today, by the way? I'm actually in Little Rock, Arkansas right now. So we're, okay. we're n- not jet-setting right now. You're not? <laughs> well, um, speaking of jet-setting, you and I met um, just recently, as a matter of fact, not very long ago. We were at, a, uh, at an event, um, both speaking at an event with uh, Jamie Amos and how to start a dental practice. And... Um, I was fortunate enough to catch your your presentation, and um, I, I I enjoyed listening to it. It wasn't boring. You made it interesting with some great stories, some of which um, I could tell these young dentists in the room were like holding onto their chairs, scared <laughs> to death, um, thinking about some of the issues that face them. Um, so after I heard you speak, I thought you know you'd be a fantastic guy to bring to my dentistry confidential subscribers and um, hopefully give them and share some tips today about how to make their life a little easier, a little less stressful, hopefully more um, robust on the financial side. And so you and I are going to talk a little bit about taxes today and a little bit about understanding the numbers that are involved in dental practice. So, Jonathan, rather than me rattle on for five minutes about your accolades and credentials, of which there are many, um, why don't you just share your story with our with our subscribers today, and and then we can get into some questions and and into the meat of today's program. Sure, absolutely. So uh, as you stated, I someone put me in a room one day with uh, you know just tons and tons of questions on a test, and I passed it and became a certified public accountant uh, here in the <laughs> amazing I'm state sorry, of Arkansas. That's hilarious. Well, oh, okay. you know, so I've never we, heard anybody uh, describe it that way before, but that's really what it is. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, so, you know, it has, you know, uh, uh, 150 hours of, of education and, and college-level education trying trying to get to the point where you're allowed to take that test, where they they deem you're allowed to take it. Uh, but right. that's my professional background. I also have um, a, a, an, an ABV accreditation, which is a accreditation to be able to value small businesses, uh, which is actually a, a harder designation to receive than the CPA designation. Um, but I don't. I really use that more with, with acquisitions and sales of practices than I do uh, anything else. And uh, so sure. that, that's my professional thing. I own a company called Dennis Metrics. We started about three years ago. I had a business partner at the time. Uh, we said, hey, the dental industry is really, really interesting. Um, a lot of neat things are going on right now. Let's get out there and see if we can't go out and be these outsourced CFOs for dental practice owners so that we can help them from the financial side. because. We had this. We we had these discussions with all the dentists, and uh, we found out that the dentist had about 15,000 hours learning how to become a dentist, and almost zero hours learning how to become a business owner. Whereas mm-hmm. conversely, we'd spent you know a, a lot of our education in business-related classes, and then we both in, had professional backgrounds as you know gen- generalist CPAs, uh, mm-hmm. working with businesses of all sizes and statures of being a trusted advisor. So we said, hey. Let's actually, instead of just having to understand each separate business very, very minutely, very, very thinly to where we're having to chug through all these different industries, uh, let's just focus on one. And we decided dental was the way to go just because uh, it, it was it's a unique industry that the owners of the businesses are medical practitioners, yet they have to be somewhat entrepreneurial in their own endeavors. I said that's a really cool thing to be able to help out with that we can actually you know use our business acumen to help these medical providers give more care to, to, to more people and have better businesses and, and run these better lives. Uh, so it was a perfect match for us, and we kind of evolved into what we are now, which is uh, we're a, a coaching and accounting con- uh, consulting company for dentists, and we help 
clients in about 15 states right now, and we've we really enjoy what we do. So your your background, um, I found your 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 background story, your backstory, very interesting, and and how you really kind of began at an early age to understand the importance of numbers in the business. Um, your parents, or your was it your grandparents or your parents that owned a furniture store? Uh, my parents owned the furniture store. Your mm-hmm. parents, and and your grand and your grandfather was sort of their CFO. Correct. He was. Uh, they, my grandparents owned a manufacturing company, and he was the CFO of the manufacturing company. Okay. And so he helped my parents kind of launch their business. Okay. Uh, and my parents, you know, always talked about whenever we were little how how in you know instrumental he was, how important he was to that process. And we, uh, you know. Unfortunately, about five years into owning the, the, the furniture store, my grandfather passed away, and uh, the, my parents went another about 10 years, seven, seven to 10 years after that, and eventually had to file bankruptcy. Uh, and you know, I, I, can re- I can remember very vividly my dad sitting on our, our fireplace you know, with you know, his, hand, his, 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 knee, his, his elbows on his knees, with his hands on his face, apologizing to the family that we were going to have to move, we were going to have to sell our house, and that the business had failed. And he'd always said that if, you know, Papa, my grandfather, was still around, he would have been able to understand what was happening in the business. He, was going to be able, he would have been able to heat off at the past the, the downward spiral they, they ended up having. Uh, and actually, also, eventually, the manufacturing company, they actually never replaced my, my grandfather. They never replaced him with a, with a financial-type person. And about 10 years after my parents' business went under, uh, that manufacturing company went under as well. So uh, I very, very intimately understand the, the need for a financial person in, in all businesses because there's a lot of risk out there and, you know, competition is rising. There's more, you know, corporate dentistry coming out. The average retirement age is expanding. There's more new dentists coming out every day of dental school. So it's a more and more competitive environment. So it's very important to understand your business and understand your numbers because if you don't understand your numbers, you don't know your business. Right. And, and, the, and the, the tough, I mean, the good news and bad news about dentistry is there's a lot of net. You know, if you, you know, a doctor can work really, really hard and be really, really diligent, have a great team that is on the same page as he or she, and get that overhead cranked down to 45, 50%. Um, I've heard large offices operating as low as 43%. I've got a client in, in South Dakota that is there. Um, and his hygiene department, by the way, covers his entire overhead. He's got three hygienists that each do about a half a million a year. Mm-hmm. And so his entire overhead is covered by that. But he didn't get there by not paying attention to the numbers and focus. I mean, just intense focus on the numbers. So, um, I, I, you know, if you just said something to me, you know, along the lines of the importance of financial stuff, you know, 15 years ago, I'd been like, yeah, it's important, but I mean, you got to have, you got to have revenue, you mm-hmm. know, in order to have profits. And, you know, a lot of docs never really get, they don't grow. And if there's one thing I've noticed about my own career um, and owning a dental office and owning other companies outside of dentistry and within dentistry, you got to, you got to focus on top line revenue. But if you're not paying attention to the numbers uh, that subtract from that top line revenue that result in your net profit, you really are, are, you know, you're really setting yourself up for a massive headache and a big problem, not just from the, fa- the fact that, hey, I'm not making any money, but not only did I not make any money, but I owe a ton of money in taxes now because I wasn't running my business the way I should have. So the financial side of the business to me is, is just really, really super important. And, and you're right, docs do not get the business education nor, nor the financial part of, of practice. Uh, at all. I mean, it's something that they come by or that they rely on professionals to give them advice or interpret. And that's, to me, that's a, that's a big mistake. It's a big error um, because you really got to, you got to know your numbers. You have to know, you have to understand cycles because every business has cycles that it goes through. Every business reaches different points of maturation that require different adjustments to be made, you know, and continuing to grow the business. So there's all these really interesting factors and, and, you know, it's fascinating to me to, to, to watch it and be a part of it. So, um, you know, for the doc that let's, let's say I'm 55 years old. Um, I've had a great career so far. Uh, I'm making money. I'm netting probably 250, 300 grand a year. So I've got a great lifestyle. I'm also spending 250 to 300,000 a year. 
So I, I have, you know, the savings that I've, <laughs> that I've put away is my 401k, but that's about it. But I, I just know I'm making enough money, and I'm not really stressed out about my my dental practice, and it seems to be going fine, and I'm pretty happy with how things are going. And I think that would describe a lot of my members and subscribers, by the way. Most of them are comfortable. And because of that comfort, they never really dive in and dig and, and see what they can do to tweak their business to create even, you know, to extract even more net income and perhaps um, even grow their top line. So it, can you take us through the process, Jonathan, that you would go through um, with a doc saying is, you know, 50s or because um, I know it's different. Some doctors that are young, they have a different set of challenges than a doctor that's, you know, in their in their mid career or late in their career. What do you do with a doc at age 50 that comes to you and says, Jonathan, I need some help. Um, I don't trust my CPAs or I'm, I don't think my CPAs are doing what they could be doing to help me. What do you do with them? How do you how do you how do you start the process with a client? And what do you look for? Sure. So. The first thing that I do with my clients is I try to reach an understanding of how that doc has been taught to treat the relationship between the CPA and himself. There are a lot of docs out there that the CPA is just a guy they talk to whenever they they go to pick up their tax return and write a check at the end of the year. Um, That's not good. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's it's very very common because, like you said, you know, you get comfortable, all these other things happen. And you kind of get into these motions and the, these uh, the, these habits, and a lot of CPAs, the CPA industry has actually has changed quite a bit in the past 20 years. Uh, whereas someone who started 20 years ago, um, the CPA may be dictating that relationship to say that you know, well, you know, your taxes are what your taxes are. If you're upset about how much you're, you're spending in taxes, go make more money. Uh, that's you know, that, that's actual line I've heard older CPAs. CPAs give people before, um, and so you know it's really getting an understanding of, of what how 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 they've they've focused on that relationship before. So they they come to me and they say, Hey, Jonathan, I've got a, a CPA. I only see them during tax time. Uh, what is it that you do to, to help people out? Well, number one, we 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 try and see what type of understanding of the financials you currently have, and then if you you know if we don't have enough information. And we try to teach you how to fish a little bit. We we, we right. don't want to just go out there and catch the fish for you. We want to say, well, this is how you know you re- you should be reading your financials. Uh, oh, and by the way, your financials may not be set up in an optimal way for you to be able to read them. So we can assist you in, in setting those up, or even completely automating that process for you if you need us to. Uh, and then it's really helping you understand those financials. Uh, and then telling you, okay, well, based off of what we see in your practice versus what we see in the 40 other practices that we do internally, not some, you know, just statistical average that the ADA gives out that is some weird survey that, you know, no one, no one really <laughs> responds lies to. On. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or they don't understand how to respond to. Right. Um, and, and then we, you know, then go in and we say, okay, this is this is where you are. This is where you potentially could be. What's going on with this? Why are your dental supply costs this high? So we had one practice that was doing a, about somewhere around $3 million a year in revenue, uh, and they were spending something around 9% of the revenue on dental supplies. And oh, we, thought that that, you know, we thought that was a bit high, so we said, okay, well, what are we doing? So we looked at it. We looked at the process for purchasing items and you know, I, I was I was promised that that was uh, you know they were doing it optimally. We went in, we looked at it, and uh, we in in one year we lowered their dental supply cost by two percent, um, and that two percent in dental supply savings was sixty thousand dollars in savings on a three million dollar year practice. Two percent reduction in overhead is sixty thousand dollars a year. So, well, congratulations! I just sent your kid to college. You know, uh, over the next over the next few years. So literally, you're, you're, yeah, yeah, that, yep. yeah. So. Um, and all we did was tweak a process. Uh, and, you know, if you don't understand your numbers, you're not going to be able to, to spot those deficiencies. And then after you fix everything, or if you're doing everything well, you've got to actually stay on top of those numbers to make sure that they're still going the right way. You don't want them to be, to be getting out of control. Because like you said, um, in business, there is a lot of moving parts, especially in the financial world, uh, financial aspect. You know, there's there you, you may be able to pull the cash out, but you may not be making money, um, you know, outside of your outside of the salary that you're pulling out, and that's incredibly common. We we see it time and time again where we've got somebody coming in and they make more money than 
everyone they grew up with and make more money than their parents did and they make more money than you know 95% of the population but and, you know there's a term a buddy and I talked about yesterday and I said uh, mm-hmm. it's called making bank but being broke <laughs> yep. Um, yep. and they just you know they they just learn to spend it so that's where we go we make sure that the business is set up optimally to be generating as much profit as possible for our docs so that you know everything else that they're doing can 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 be better from that because your your business is typically the the biggest investment you have as a business owner and then you know and then after that if you want to grow then we figure that out how to how to how to set up a game plan to to be able to grow uh and and work from there so you kind of start with here's where I'm at and here's and here's where we think you could get to based on what we see in other offices so you're dealing in real numbers with real people, not with ADA averages and statistics that we really don't know if they're accurate or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I love that approach. What are some of the, aside from supplies, now, <clears throat> and keep in mind, you and I both agree that um, the, that pinching pennies isn't the way to get rich. I mean, Correct. yeah, you can save 60 grand a year by being smarter about your supply purchases and creating a system to do that, but that isn't going to make you wealthy. Um, so, uh, and I want to clear that up because I don't want folks to think that this is nothing but, a, oh, here's how to cut your overhead call, because um, there's a lot of ways to cut overhead. Mm-hmm. Um, easiest one is to make sure your staffing costs are in line, by the way. Do you want to spend, before we get going, I guess, where I was headed, do you want to talk about um, sort of what you see on a percentage basis for some of these line items? So staffing costs and um, uh, marketing and, and supply costs. Do you want to talk about some of those averages that you see? For the sure. real so, offices? Sure, yeah. So um, we, the last time I aggregated all of our data, we were seeing somewhere between 5 and 7% for dental supplies, depending on the type of practice. If you're doing mm-hmm. you know, more uh, implants or things like that, you're going to be on the higher end of that. Um, if you were just kind of a, a, a typical uh, bread and butter practice, you might be on the lower end of that. And that's, mm-hmm. that is the, that's the goal for most of our practices, and a lot of them can re- actually reach that. Um, labs are, are somewhat dependent on the area of the country that you're in uh, because mo- a lot of docs like to use labs that are local to them um, and it also depends on your service mix but we like to see that somewhere between seven and nine percent so mm-hmm. um, we tell a lot of people kind of a baseline look to, to do because we see a lot of people in their financials will add these numbers together uh, is 13 percent of revenue if you add them both together and you get to 13 percent um, of revenue, so collect. When I say revenue, that means dollars you deposited into the bank from patient fees. Right. Um, yeah, we're talking about production. We're not talking about production percentages. We're talking about right. real money, stuff that you can exactly. spend. So we're talking about collections only. Correct. Yeah, just to be, just so everybody's oh, clear. Yeah. So, uh, so, so it, around thirteen percent is for for general practitioners is where we typically see um, when you add labs and supplies in together. Okay. Uh, staffing staffing costs. Uh, the you know that's the the biggest expense that you that you have. Uh, we typically like to see after paying your employees, after paying payroll taxes, after paying employee benefits, 401k, retirement insurance, if that's what you're doing. Um, for most practices, we shoot for 25% of revenue. So if you do $100,000 a month, 25,000 of that should be payroll, and the payroll is only for hygiene assistants and front office staff, including office managers. So if you have an associate, we don't include that in the 25%. Um, I'm, I'm on the more aggressive side on that. Um, some people will try and shoot for, uh, you know, somewhere a little bit around 28%. Um, I'll say 25% just because I know it can be done. I've seen it done time and time again. Uh, and a lot of the time that is using your staff effectively to be able to generate revenue. Um, so, and like I said, you know, as far as you know, kind of that that mindset of like saving a saving a penny here or there, it's really using the money that you're spending effectively so that you can make more money. Uh, that's it, that's, it, that's a good thought. that's a good way to look at that. Yeah, I like. Yeah, that. because a lot of people, you know, um, if you're spending a ton of money in supplies, but you're generating a ton of money in revenue because of that, that's fine. But let's just try and make sure that we're getting a fair deal on that. Yeah. Um, is, 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 is how I how I look on that. So that's you know dental supplies, labs, plus staffing costs. That's thirty eight percent of all overhead at that point. So those are the biggest biggest ones. As far as advertising goes, I have a really big difference, and I've got kind of a, a beef with the people that, that that say your advertising should be this percent of your revenue. I'm of the belief that the advertising is 
while it is a, an expense dictated by the Internal Revenue Code that you get to deduct from your, your, ta from your, your taxes, from your revenue for, to, to get to your net income at the end of the year, I find that advertising is, is an investment. So if you were putting money out there and that money is going out and getting more money and bringing it back to you, to me that's an investment. And at that point, you can't really dictate this percentage of revenue should be what is your advertising. Um, because, you know, if someone's spending, say, 4% of their revenue on advertising, but they're not, that's not effective advertising, then what, that, that doesn't make any difference. It shouldn't make any difference. And the, the same reason, if they're spending 4% of their revenue on advertising, and that's generating a ton of new business, and they have the ability to pay more than 4%, why are they limiting them, themselves to 4%? They should be investing as much money as they can to be able to go get more money back. Does that make sense? Jonathan, I mean, I feel all, I, all of a sudden I feel like I found my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> Your spirit because animal you, is, is, is a boring uh, CPA, 6 foot 2 CPA from Little Rock, Arkansas with a Southern draw. That's, that's, that's very appropriate. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm so excited because, you know, we always feel good when somebody agrees with us, right? When somebody, right. Takes one, when somebody has the same philosophy that we do about anything. I mean, you look at religion, business, whatever. You always feel good that, oh, there's somebody that understands me. They understand my point of view. Well, let's just let's just make the rec let's just clear the record, make it straight. Uh, you and I are 100 percent correct. Everybody else is wrong. <laughs> but everything you just said about marketing, it is an investment. If and, and where else in your practice can you deploy, say five or ten thousand dollars, and have it come back two to three or four times or more in a period of three, six, nine, twelve months? There's nothing. I mean, you can't go spend $120,000 on, on a CAD CAM machine and have that thing bring in 400 grand in a year. It mm -hmm. just isn't going to happen. That is simply a cost replacement. By the way, you have to add a staff member to deal with it and take up space in your office. And I'm not a big fan of those things, but there are places where they're appropriate. But I'm not a big fan of it. I love marketing, though, because you can invest and get money back and reinvest. And then pretty soon, I've got a whole paper on this within a period of six seven months you can be playing with house money if you do it right and you can't do that with other expenses in your practice yet you get to deduct it so it's kind of like you're getting paid by the irs to grow your business if you think about it right i mean you're getting you're getting that massive deduction so and the other part is that i always tell docs look the amount of money you invest in marketing depends on what your goals are if your goal is to you know um grow 100 new patients a month and, and you want to grow your business uh, you can't you can't look at a percentage. You got to look at okay, how much can I afford to spend? How much does a does a, a new patient cost me on average? I mean, there are a whole bunch of things to look at, but but a percentage of collections isn't necessarily one of them. It may give you a starting point, but I mean, you know, you said it all, so I really don't need to say anything else. But God <laughs> bless you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I you, try. You know, I think a lot yeah. alike there. I, I, I come on a, a marketing person's uh, a, a interview and I and I and I spout my my religion of advertising investment and I expect a little bit of a of a, of a happy interview. So no, but that is that is absolutely true. It's so it's so true. And it's more to me. It's more of a measure of effectiveness than it is a measure of some some futile method of of putting a percentage on on some line item. Yeah, and and here's one that here's what I coach my clients and members. I tell them if you can get a two to one ROI, if you spend a thousand dollars and can get two thousand dollars coming back in thirty to sixty days, you should be ready to deploy as many one thousand dollar bills as possible. Oh yeah, and way 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 better than jumping the market. I'm sorry, what was that? Uh, and that's way better than like jumping into the market as far as oh. the market is in like the, the stock market. Stock, oh, all day long, all day long. And, and to me, that's the beauty of it is, you know, I can, I can, I can experiment. I can, I can take a thousand dollars. I can say, okay, I'm going to spend, a, I'm going to invest a thousand dollars in postcards. And when that, when I get $2,000 back, I'm going to deploy that thousand dollars again. And if you can just keep redoing that and over and over and then pretty soon, you know, you build this annuity, fa you got the annuity factor where patients keep coming back and they keep coming back. And I mean, the return just keeps building and building and building. And I mean, the, the return can almost be infinite when you look at it from that perspective, when you isolate the money and, and you calculate your ROI and your overhead. And by the way, that's another thing that frustrates me is when, 
when you got marketing companies out there that you know that tell you, oh well, you can you know you just need one patient to pay for this. Well, what do you mean one patient? I mean, even if they're fifteen hundred dollars on average, I've got overhead, right? There's fifty percent at least going to overhead. So if I'm spending fifteen hundred, I need to get like three grand back to break even. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks don't think like that. We do. We teach our docs this is how you need to think about it. You've got overhead concerns, and if you can get two to one in the first thirty to sixty days, that means you're going to have four, five, six to one down the road. You know, maybe a year. Then fantastic. I mean, you just you just invest that thousand dollars over and over again as fast as you can. So anyway, um, I'll get off my 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 horse there, um, <laughs> and we'll come back to reality. Um, what are some of the other areas uh, for overhead that you like to see sort of contained and what, what kind of percentages are we looking at? Sure. So after that, you know, for a lot of docs, we'll have an associate, um, you know, just making sure that you're, you're not ever now you, you, you can't pay enough money for a good associate. So um, I, I don't, you know, that, that number being in there, we see it typically see, you know, somewhere between 30 and 35% of, uh, of production uh, or some little bit higher percentage of collections you know, 35 to 40% of collections, depending on what area of the country you're in, how competitive it is, what type of, uh, you know, take insurance or Medicaid practice or, or whatever, uh, you know, that all is dependent. But, uh, you know, once once those are all done, you're over 60% of all of your expenses in your, in your business. So, you know, after that, uh, it really comes down to being effective of using your your office, you know, because like you said, you can't, you can't save Saving pennies isn't going to build you wealth. So, like for office expenses, you know, we could say that it's you know two and a half percent of all expenses. But I mean, you're not going to you know circle back with you're not going to you're not, you're not, we're not we don't really focus on the everything else because there's so much meat and potatoes in that 38 percent that we look at. Um, we definitely look at it as from a um, from an analysis standpoint, uh, but we find that that's typically it's typically dictated by are, do we have uh, digital charts or are we a paper office? And if we're a paper office, um, we, we found the analysis on doing digital versus paper from a cost perspective is, is fairly a, a wash over time because you've got to invest a bunch in it. Um, you do get some time savings uh, for doing it digitally as long as you're used to doing that, as long as you're able to learn that system quickly. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, so we don't in, – in, we, we, I don't think I've ever had a client where their office expenses were, you know, 2% higher than what we thought they should be, and then they stopped, paying, they stopped printing as much, and they saved $60,000 a year. Uh, it just, it just yeah. doesn't happen. So right. uh, the, the other little things we don't spend quite as much time on. Uh, but I will say, you know, rent, if you're renting from someone and not yourself, uh, then, you know, again, this depends on the area of the country because someone in, you know, New York versus someone in Arkansas – uh, is going to be very different. In New York, you might be paying seven, seven and a half percent of your revenue towards rent. Here in Arkansas, you might be paying three percent of your income towards rent. Uh, right. it just, it, so it, it 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 really goes wide across the board on those. Um, so that's the reason I really kind of focus on the on those first three labs, supplies, and salaries. Sure. Okay. Well, let's circle back around to that communication piece because I think it's real valuable. Um, before we started the call. We were, of course, discussing, you know, some of the talking points that we want to cover that would be valuable for specifically for my subscribers based on, you know, what we know about them um, so that this is a meaningful conversation uh, for them. Um, when you're looking at communication with a client, what, what, do you, what, what tells you, what signs do you get from a client that they're engaged and they, they want to understand the services that you provide and they want to benefit from those? Um, as far as a communication schedule or routine, what do you like to see from a client? I mean, what what are your best clients doing with you in the realm of communication? Sure. So we actually have you know a full a full coaching program that we have available for our docs to help them with with the business side of things, where we go you know past just the financials. The financials, understanding the financials and things like that are going to help you um, from an ex, what we call expense management. So it's making sure that the dollars that we are receiving are being spent well, as well as making sure that the dollars that we're spending are being effective. Um, but if you want to go beyond that, some of our most successful clients are the people that we actually are coaches to, that we help them understand kind of the practice management numbers, which are things like looking at your how effective you are at your recall system, looking at uh, you know how, how much of a patient growth we've had, 
looking at, uh, you know, how, what our average patient visit is and if we can get that up and helping them understand how to lead their team with their numbers. But as far as, um, and, and we're, we're pretty picky about who we take on as clients, so I have all great clients. So as far as what we see, um, the people that have been successful in the past when they came to us, um, from a tax perspective, they really understood what their CPA, um, they really had communicated in the past to their CPA what their current strategy was from a business perspective. Because it may be that we need to conserve cash for some type of investment. It may need to be that we want to make sure that all of our taxes are paid so that whenever the tax time comes next year, we don't have a large cash outlay. It may be that we need one of the penalty proof ourselves from, from interest and penalties. It may be that we're expecting a down year due to, you know, three corporate dentistry chains going next door. Uh, and we need that we need to not pay in our taxes as much throughout the year so that we can invest in things like advertising so that we can keep up with uh, the people coming in or you know crush the competition next door. So okay. it's really having a good understanding of the reasons that we're using these dollars, the reason we have these dollars in front of us and how we're spending them. Uh, and I, you know I would love to say that as a you know as, as a prior general CTA, that when I say general CPA, I was handling clients that had a billion dollars a year in revenue, and I had clients that were doing hundreds of dollars a month in revenue. Uh, so um, when, when I was a general CPA, so we had oil companies and we had hairstylists that we would help. I'd sure. love to say that if a doc had came to me at that point in time, I could have figured all this stuff out. Um, but I know it wouldn't have been as quick and as easy to understand nowadays after being in the industry for so long. So to me, that is what a dental CPA is paid for, is that expertise and that understanding. Um, So we've got a lot of docs that have never had a dental CPA before, uh, and they've never even known to ask their CPA these types of questions or bring these types of things to their attention. So, you know, just talk to your your CPA, make sure you have an open line of communication, uh, and, you know, don't be afraid of an hourly bill, like we don't do any hourly billing, but I know that's a lot of reasons why clients in the past haven't contacted their CPA about this stuff, because typically when they call the CPA, a clock gets started and they get a bill for it and they, you know, sometimes don't see the value in that bill. So don't be afraid of that hourly bill. Treat that also as an investment, uh, especially if you've got things that are changing. If if you're just doing status quo stuff, which if if you're listening to this call, I have a strong feeling that you're not a status quo kind of doc, you probably got a little bit of an entre- or a lot of an entrepreneurial spirit, and you're wanting to make things happen. So if you're trying to make things happen, and you're uh, and uh, a lot of things should be changing in your business, your yeah. CPA can be a very valuable tool and member of your team as long as you initiate some type of conversation. Because if you've got a doc, a C- I'm sorry, if you've got a CPA you've used for a long time and you've never approached them with this type of information, they're not going to know to ask you. Uh, right. So that line of communication is paramount, incredibly important. Um, you you mentioned uh, different categories for for you know for spending in the practice, so different categories of overhead. Something I I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about, and it's a <clears throat> it's a central part of the of the planning that we do for my dental office, um, and that I do for all my entities, um, and that is setting up reserves. Um, for example, my dental office has no debt. It's probably one of the one of very few in the United States that has no debt. Um, it, we we operate it that way on purpose. We have zero debt. We don't owe anybody. It's a very comforting feeling. So we don't really care what's happening in, with the economy. We have a ton of flexibility not having debt. Uh, we lease our space. There's no personal guarantee. I mean, it's it just is really a wonderful thing. Most doctors aren't in that situation. They have debt, um, and it's hard to save when you have debt. But, um, you know, if you're looking at financing a, a new, you know, E4D or Seric machine or, you know, a new um, computed tomography scanner or whatever, um, those, are big, those are big dollar decisions. Uh, it, when it comes time for us to invest in that kind of equipment, it's a cash, cash purchase. Um, it would be rare, if ever, that we would finance anything for any reason. So how do you coach doctors through on the reserve side of things so that when it's time to purchase something, they can pay cash, they can ask for a massive discount, which we do on everything we buy, 
which is one great way to to you know get something that everybody else is paying 100 grand we're going to pay 80 because we're paying cash we can move quickly you know we don't there are no hindrances um, how do you how do you teach your clients to set up reserves what what do you tell them to reserve for what kind of percentages are you looking at and and are how are your clients are your clients receptive to setting up reserves sure it's a great question so Number one, are they receptive? Yeah, typically they are because, again, we, we're pretty picky about who we take on. Um, but the, re, the as far as the reserves go, we have a game plan for all of our clients as far as how your cash goes. Uh, because we, again, you know, we admittedly, we, we have a lot of docs that are younger um, because we're, uh, you know, we're a cloud company. We are based on through the Internet. We have all of our communications through face-to-face meetings uh, done through the Internet. But we have a lot of younger guys, and they have student loan debt um, in addition to the new practice acquisition or build-out or anything like that. So we have a little bit different of a, of a game plan for them. But for our more established practices, we typically try and get you to somewhere between three and five months of your operating expenses, depending on your size. The bigger you are, typically we're closer to three months, the smaller you are. We typically it's closer to five months. Um, so if you've ever kind of heard of that whole that old mindset of having six months of personal cash in reserve as a safety fund for your personal life, to have six months of, of, of your, your spending expenses, it's a lot like that. So we start out trying to get our, doc, our businesses to get three to five months of operating expenses ready and, and held on to. We then move on to the six months of personal expenses, and then we start attacking debt as, as, as heavily as possible so that we can start freeing up some of our monthly cash flow. So we always start with student loan debt because doctors don't get any benefit from student loan interest payments. Uh, So we always start there. Then we move to the personal debt, which is home and, you know, vacation houses, et cetera. Hopefully they're not, you know, outrageously spending money on on, on those. They don't have $3 million houses. You know, they've got a practice doing $300,000 a year in revenue. Um, But (laughs) we attack that second because in today's, you know, IRS tax climate, uh, you don't get 100% of your uh, mortgage interest deductions anymore or real estate tax deductions. So it's, it's best to go ahead and tackle that uh, before business debt. And then we move into business debt, and we absolutely try to get rid of business debt as fast as we can. Uh, it's just one of, the, one of those things that we try and get rid of as quickly as we can. And then at that point, we start looking at, you know, adding to those reserves. If we know that there's going to be an equipment purchase, you know, sometime on the horizon, say two years, then we start up a separate fund, separate account to start saving money towards that, where we might have it being separate from the attacking the debt. So sure. it, just, it just depends on the situation, how much revenue is coming in, how much cash flow we have. Right. So you definitely love the idea of the re- – I mean, I figured you would, being a CPA and, and somebody that, you know, likes seeing that stability that reserves can provide – um, mm-hmm. And you know, becoming your own bank, so to speak. So instead of you know having to borrow from the bank to fund a fund a purchase, you know, your or or your payroll for God's sakes. I mean, you get to oh, you get borrow from yourself. Um, what are some of the challenges that you see uh, doctors dealing with? Well, actually, before I get to that, um, do you see the the, uh, the student loan? Um, challenge do you see that being addressed by the irs at all or do you think that because dental students and really medical students too uh, any professional students coming out with debt do you think they just don't there's not enough of them for them to worry about it or do you see the irs or our feds uh, doing something about bringing that deduction back for student loans you know for the higher levels of student loans what, what do you see? do you see anything happening there at all never Never. Yeah, I kind of figured yeah. as much. The, the, and the, the reason is because of the socioeconomic climate or political environment would, you know, people would go insane uh, if the if there was a tax break given to the, you know, quote, unquote, the wealth, wealthy. Yeah, or rich. Yeah. Yes. yes. Vilify the rich, hang them all. It's not like the people on the phone call, you know, uh, you know, are responsible for employees or families or patients or anything like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We wouldn't. We wouldn't want to make it easier on them. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's. Uh, I, lo- I love that attitude. Um, you, hopefully, everybody can tell my sarcasm. I, I better be clear, just in case. But uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, here's here's a, here's a verbal wink. 
for everyone out there is just to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. Uh, there's a verbal wink, yeah. Um, when, you're, when you're working with someone who is uh, in midlife, um, uh, mid-career, what are some really dumb things that you're seeing these guys doing that they shouldn't be doing that they really need to think clearly about before they do? So are you talking from like a financial perspective or from like a tax perspective? Um, let's let's do one of each because I know there's about 50 different things they do. <laughs> all of us do. I mean, let's just face sure. it. You know, doctors aren't unique in that perspective. We all do dumb things with our with our money and with our taxes. So maybe one a good example from each. So from the financial aspect is just you know being comfortable and assuming that you can always do it next year. Um, the starting to really get your finances in order. You know, the younger the better, but it's, you know, the only time it's too late is whenever it's never done. So you got to get it done now. Start understanding how much money you're bringing home as well as what your expenses are so that you can start, you know, saving money. Uh, So you can start building wealth, real, actual, tangible wealth, not just some, you know, well, hey, I've got a a dental practice that was worth a million dollars last year and it's going to be worth a million dollars in probably five years. So, uh, you know, I'm going to spend as much money as everybody as I can to break even on my personal bank accounts. Uh, you know, setting up, you know, making sure that your family is taken care of, life insurance, uh, disability insurance, uh, making sure that you've got your estates in order. We just had, here in Little Rock, we just had uh, two dentists that were, um, we had one that was in his early 50s and one that was in his early 60s pass away unexpectedly. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 it's a big, it's a big, big deal. Um, you know, hopefully they were both taken care of from the, in those regards, but it's one of those things that I'll get new clients in. We'll have that conversation. We'll say, yeah, we've thought about doing that, but you know, we just never did it. Uh, right. so that's, 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 you know, that's, that is a, 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 a an earth shattering mistake that it, that it has not been addressed needs to be addressed from a financial perspective. Yeah, and, and why, you know what, I mean, your family's going to have a hard enough time dealing with those kinds of, I mean, especially death. Your family's going to have a hard enough time as it is unless, you, you know, your wife hates your guts or your husband hates your guts. Um, again, wink. Um, <laughs> why put that added pressure on them if you don't have to? Spend the ten grand, go get a great will and trust made up that, you know, and take care of some of those financial matters that you can't take care of when it's too late. So, yeah, I mean, here in Salem even, I, there's, I don't know how many dentists here, 100, there's, there's one dentist for every 900 people. 120,000 people. So, I mean, you know, do the math. There's about 150 dentists in the area around Salem. And every year, one of them, something happens to one or two of them, you know, and it's typically involving recreation. Go figure. Diving accident, (laughs) that was last year. Motorcycle accidents, about one a year. Um, Mm. You know, they're being weekend warriors or on a Friday, not, you know, not in the office and they're out screwing around and something happens. So, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, I, I'm very careful about my hands. I mean, I spend a lot of time at the keyboard. I, I write. I mean, my writing, you know, pretty much makes my living. So um, I don't have the luxury of being abusive to my hands or really my body or my brain. So, uh, you know, doctors got to think about what am I doing and is, am I risk? What am I risking for? You know, a couple hours or maybe a half day of fun. Um, a lot of them don't think that way. I have a wife who's fortunately for me very. She's very cautious. She she <laughs> does what she can to protect me and to make me think because as a man, oftentimes our reptile brain takes over and we don't think a whole lot before we do, and that's when we get ourselves in trouble, both in business and in personal lives. But um, you got to think about those things. I mean, you really do, and nobody wants to talk about it because it deals with death and it deals with well, I'm be gone, so who cares? Well, you know, don't don't make it, don't make it difficult on your family. They're going to have a hard enough time as it is. So I, I like that advice, Jonathan. Get it taken care of. Um, from a from a tax perspective, that's sort of from a financial planning perspective, but from a tax perspective, what are some egregious errors that are really avoidable that you see being made? Well, you know, it, th- this is always one of those things that I, I have problems explaining sometimes, so I'll try and boil it down as simple as I can. Um, I've had so many returns come to me, so many new clients come to me in the past, in the recent past, that... Um, they are an S corp. So if you're not an S corp, then this may not apply to you. But that's, you know, I would say probably 90% of the clients that come in the door are, are an S corp, mm-hmm. um, and they will have just kind of hidden on their tax returns 
losses from prior years that were never deducted. Um, and so it's so what I'm saying is that they had expenses in prior years and never received any reduction in taxes for those expenses. And now, how did that happen? Yeah, so it's a great question. So the IRS, you know, a lot of people tout, you know, how in S-Corps you can save what's called payroll taxes, which is a fantastic, amazing little loophole that you can use uh, through the IRS to be able to save in payroll taxes. So payroll taxes are if you pay, your, if you pay yourself money um, or if you pay anyone money for, through wages, you have payroll taxes, which is FICA, or which is Social Security and Medicare. So you have 6.2% uh, in, in Social Security and 1.45% in Medicare. And what happens with that is the employee pays half of that or pays a part, pays that amount, and then the employer pays that amount, so a total of 15.3%. You know, after about $120,000 in payroll, that number goes down to 2.9%. That gets split between the two people. But And then so it, the, the, the theory of thought is that if, for example, you made, say, $500,000 last year and you payrolled yourself 250000 then you save 2.9% on the difference between 250 and 500000 which is 250000 which ends up being about nine or ten grand in taxes you save, which is a fantastic, very viable thing to do. The problem is, is that in S corps, you have this thing called basis, which is this right. this really convoluted thing that people just don't talk about because it's hard to understand. Um, I usually use a visual of explaining basis, but basically, what basis is is it, the IRS says it's what is invested in your your practice, and the only way to raise this number is to leave income in your practice, to put your personal money into the practice, uh, or to take out a loan in your personal name and then give that money to the practice. That's the only way to increase your basis. You, can, you decrease your basis by taking money out of the practice or showing a net loss on your practice. The thing is, though, is basis you cannot go below zero in your basis by the IRS's standards. So what happens is these people are in what's called negative basis because they've gotten these big loans in the past. So they have a bunch of cash available and they've or they've got they bought a bunch of really expensive equipment that they wrote off and depreciated really quickly because they wanted to save money in taxes, which is a great thing to do. Um, but they went below zero on their basis because they paid themselves money that brought their income down to zero. They took a bunch of depreciation that took their income down to zero. And then they pulled money out in forms of what's called distributions, which, by the way, if you're below zero dollars in basis or if you're at zero dollars in basis and you take out a distribution, you have to pay short-term capital gains on the distributions. So you may get, be getting double taxed on your ordinary tax rate, which if you take a distribution and you're making $300,000, you're probably going to be, you know, say you take out an extra $100,000 that year, you're supposed to be t paying somewhere between, you know, thirty dollars and $35,000 in taxes on that $100,000 you pulled out. So we have a lot of people that come to us and they've got these, what we call carryover losses from prior years that have just not ever been used uh, because they kind of used all the expenses in the past, they ran out of basis, and then they had it in order to take so in order to take that loss, the only way they could have done that is to write themselves a loan to the business, which sounds crazy, but it's something you can do. But the problem with that is the IRS has been lately saying that that is not, you know, unless you jump through a million hoops, they'll disregard that, and then they'll go back in time and treat those things as, as capital gains, as distributions. But a lot of the times, we had one client that had, I've had one client that had $400,000 in carryover losses. I had one client that had, $300,000 in loans that that dentist owed his practice $300,000. He didn't know about it. If the IRS came back, came back and said, this is not a valid loan because number one, we don't have any type of written agreement. Number two, we don't have any type of repayment. Uh, number three, there's no interest rate on here. Um, then they would say all $300,000 of this is distributions, which by the way, you now owe us interest and penalties on because that should have been treated as short-term capital gains which could have been, you know, $150,000 in taxes he would have owed because of this thing that the CPA was doing and did not tell the client at all. The client had no idea that this thing was even on his tax return. 
that's a that's a pretty big thing, and that's happening a lot right now, especially in practices that are cash flow light. Mm-hmm. So they're paying themselves, you know, somewhere in the two hundred fifty thousand dollar a year range, but they're always ending up being kind of break even at the end of the year on the business, and that's a lot of the time it's because they're putting money into a retirement account or something like that because they're 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 income rich but cash poor, and right. it happens a lot. It happens a lot. I would say out of the S corp returns that crossed my desk. In the dental industry, uh, it's probably somewhere around 20 to 30% of the practices I'll see how oh, that happens. Yeah, that's wow. a lot. Yeah. Well, and, that's, and, and here's the problem. No, I don't think, and I'm guilty, I didn't understand this. I didn't ask the questions, and I didn't care. <laughs> um, you, when you talked about this in San Antonio, I'm sitting there in the back of the room, and I'm going, hmm, all right, now all this makes sense. Because at one point in time, I had a shareholder loan show up all of a sudden, you know, after my books are, after my taxes were done and my, my bookkeeper entered my reconciled transactions, because they do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the reconciliations go in and um, after the, after my taxes are done, all of a sudden the shareholder loan shows. I'm like, what the hell is that? And so, you know, I called my CPA and he explained it to me, but he didn't explain it in a way that, that made any sense. Um, but basically, I got the gist of it. You need to pay it back. And you need to pay it back through not taking money out, but just leaving it in mm-hmm. and paying taxes on the money that you're leaving in. So essentially, let's say you owe $10,000 as a shareholder loan, because I have an S-Corp. Um, you know, you gotta, you got uh, to start taking uh, um, payroll taxes that, that drive that, your payroll rather, uh, that drives that $10,000 down, but you got to pay taxes on the money. So, you know, you might, instead of having 10, if you had a $10,000 shareholder loan, you might, you know, you might end up here in Oregon paying 13500 back. You know, you got state tax on top of Fed. So I didn't really get it until, until you said it. I was like, oh, now it all makes sense. In the world of depreciation, um, a lot of people buy new equipment every year in order to stay ahead of the tax man. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem with that the tax plan always comes home to roost. <laughs> so if you take that accelerated depreciation, so if you take it in year one on some equipment instead of spreading it out over five or ten years, yeah, you get a great tax advantage, and you may not pay any taxes or a lot less in taxes that year, but the subsequent years you're going to pay taxes because mm-hmm. even though you're making a payment on that piece of equipment or you're making whatever, uh, you've, you're paying taxes after that first year because you took all of the depreciation, all of the deduction that first year. So that's another another challenge I've seen docs battle with, and I I battled with it until I understood what was going on. I just didn't know, and um, and so it's important to understand that yeah, you know, you might owe fifty grand and then go spend two hundred thousand on equipment and then not owe fifty grand anymore. But trust me, the IRS is going to get their fifty grand. They may just oh, wait yeah. a few years to get it. So absolutely, that, that's a trap we all got to be careful. In. And the other part is when you go to sell that asset. So I saw this. This has happened before. I saw this on my own taxes. You know, you buy a vehicle for you know in your company, you sell the vehicle for a loss. That loss now suddenly turns into a gain because you depreciated the whole the entire purchase. <laughs> Absolutely. <yep. laughs> and you're like, wait a second, why do I have a gain on something I sold at a loss? That's because you took the depreciation, and the tax man always gets his money. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, good stuff, Jonathan. Um, before we go, because we're getting we're getting darn close here to wrapping up, and I kept I'm keeping you a little longer than I told you. Um, do you have uh, any other um, quick tips for folks? Uh, and then after one or two quick tips, um, let's get your contact information out there. So if folks are interested in getting in touch with you, uh, going to your website, they can do that. Sure. So quick tips. So I am I am I am a bit of a long-winded guy. So let me let me let me collect my thoughts on the quick tips. Um, number one would, would, would definitely be um, if you don't understand your numbers as of right now, uh, then spend, spend a little bit of time researching what's, what's possible. Um, we've got, you know, there, there's a lot of resources on our website that can that kind of point you to, to some of this information that you can figure out, you know, what these numbers are, uh, and it's definitely possible. Um, the next tip that I would have is, you know, give if you're one of these people that are trying to make things happen, you know, give again, give your CPA a phone call and say, 
look, I've got a lot of things going on. I know that you just got done with tax season, uh, and or it, you know, right now it's we're we're on April 20th, which uh, um, is you know a few days past the tax deadline. So uh, for me, now is a good time to you know start you know catching up with all the things I missed in the in the first you know part of tax season or the things mm-hmm. I could delay, I guess. Mm-hmm. So now's a really good time to be able to call them, and they're much more likely to be able to talk to you now. And in the summer, then they will be come the year end or in uh, the beginning of next year. And by the way, if you only contact them at the end of the year, uh, then it may be too late to really do anything from your tax plan. So definitely give them a phone call. Try and you know help them uh, help them help you. I guess is the way of saying things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, lastly is don't ever be afraid to ask questions of, of, of people that are professionals that are supposed to be helping you. Um, we, ha- we did, uh, we pulled our clients when, for a while, for a couple of years when they were coming in and asked them, has your CPA ever explained to you what your financials mean? Or they ever sat down and actually showed you what your financials mean? And 90% of the new clients that came in had said that no one had ever explained what a balance sheet was, what an income statement was, or a statement of cash flows, uh, and how, and what, what, what they meant for any, for any reason. Um, most of them didn't even know what the CPA was actually doing for them. So, <laughs> yep. Yep. so don't, don't be afraid to, to talk to your professionals that are helping you because that's what you're paying them for. You might have to pay a little bit more as a, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a factor of the time that goes into it. Uh, but don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, it's, it's the, the, the number one most successful thing business owners can do is ask better questions. Uh, I, I, I wholly in uh, completely believe that that is the, the best thing you can do as a business owner, whether it be asking your patients better questions that leads them to understanding your, your, your treatments, uh, whether it be asking your supply vendors the right questions to be able to get them to get the best deals. Uh, I think that that's one of the best things that you can do, asking your staff so that they can be led to the right, the right conclusions of, of how to be in a business. I think that's one of the best things that you can do. So those are my, 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 my three quick tips by Jonathan Van Horn CPA. <laughs> awesome. um, so, and I would, and I would add, I would add to your quick tips. Um, be strategic about what you skimp on. In other words, uh, when it comes to advice, um, be willing to pay for good advice because great advice isn't free and free advice usually isn't great. I just made that mm-hmm. up by the way. Um, oh, that was very quick. Good job. <laughs> but that's very, but that's very true. And I, I mean, in my own life, I, I invest heavily in advisors coaches, whatever you want to call them. I invest, I invest heavily, and, and I spend once a quarter, I'm eating lunch with my CPA. I'm telling him what's going on. I'm giving, I'm giving him information in advance of the meeting, saying here's where I'm at. Where do I need to be tax-wise? Are we on track for contributions to the 401, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm communicating regularly, and I've got you know, a number of entities to aggregate. So my, mm-hmm. my, mine isn't simple. Um, and so it's, it's, it's invaluable time. It's a great lunch hour. Uh, I buy, so I don't get charged for it. And it's a great, I mean, uh, you know, but I mean, I invest in the advice in advance. And as far as tax planning, I mean, I'm, I'm halfway through the year. I know I have a good idea what the rest of the year is going to look like as far as income goes. And so I'm making, I'm making adjustments on the fly for that. So I, I think people need to really, I think docs need to really pay attention and, and, and devote some time to their numbers, bec- come to understand them, come to know and understand the trends that they see um, and that are there in the books that, you know, reveal themselves. So, uh, Jonathan, just a, a great hour. I mean, thank you very much. Uh, really great stuff. How do people reach you? What's your website? How do they reach you? How do they, how do they become a Jonathan Van Horn CPA client? <laughs> so uh, our website is dentistmetrics.com. It's one of those uh, names when we thought of, we thought, hey, everybody will understand what that means, you know, dentists and numbers, <laughs> metrics are numbers. Uh, and then we realized, oh, metrics has a few different ways to be, to be spelled. So, uh, but the, it's, it's D-E-N-T-I-S-T-M-E-T-R-I-C-S.com, M-E-T-R-I-C-S.com. Uh, that's where you can find most of my contact information. Uh, if you want to give me uh, an email, my email is Jonathan, again, one of the, the, the most misspelled uh, common names in America, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at DentistMetrics.com. Uh, or you can call us toll-free, 877-265-2121, uh, 877-265-2121, and my extension is extension 1. Uh, and if you want to reach out, uh, you know, I love talking about dentistry. 
Uh, I love the industry. Uh, you know, it's it's one of the, it's it's what gets me going. It's what it's what my wife says. I have to stop talking about at dinner. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we're we're both very fortunate to be a part of a, a wonderful industry. Um, I've been in it for twenty over twenty years, and I, I mean, I'm honored to be a part of it. Um, and and you're right, this is a great great group of folks, good people. Um, it's a fun industry. It's interesting, um, and it's changing like lightning speed. So, mm-hmm. um, Jonathan, thank you. Um, I encourage all of our listeners to check out Jonathan's website. Get in touch with him if if you think he's for you. Um, but hopefully you picked up some good gems from today's uh, program. And, Jonathan, once again, sir, I thank you for your time. And remain on the line if you would, and we'll wrap things up. And for everyone else, thank you. We'll be back at you next month. Have a great one. Hey, Jerry Jones here. Thank you for joining me on this edition of the Jerry Jones Radio Show. You've reached the end of this segment. You can always listen in to the next show by visiting jerryjonesdirect.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Or find the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Jerry Jones. For more information about Jerry Jones Direct, go to jerryjonesdirect.com or give us a call, 503-339-6000. Our member ambassadors are standing by to assist you. And once again, thank you for listening to The Jerry Jones Radio Show.